and good evening, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of JMU Sound Off. I am Jonathan McNamara, as always, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. We're going to call this a royal recap as the James Madison University Dukes become the kings of the Commonwealth yesterday after their 36-35 come-from-behind victory over the Cavaliers of the University of Virginia. And before we bring in the rest of our Sound Off team, who I know have a ton to say tonight, um, wanted to uh, just off the top, as we always do, mention our sponsors, the Montpelier Collective. Uh, as well as our friends from Skyline Financial Partners. We'll have more about Skyline Financial Partners as we go throughout the broadcast. A um, couple of other housekeeping notes. We want to encourage you to check out our new website that launched this week, uh, jmusoundoff.com. That's particularly important if you're ever looking for any recaps or any of the video content uh, that we produce outside of the show. You can find all of that on our website, again, jmusoundoff.com. And this week, um, if everything goes well, based on some approvals that have to happen with Amazon, we have a new line of merchandise, um, some T-shirts and other items that are going to highlight not only some of the recent things that have occurred in JMU's football's history, but also some of the historical moments um, throughout JMU Sports' time uh, that we're going to capture in some of these shirts. And I want to thank uh, right off the top Andy Lynn, uh, his at Yellow Shades on Twitter, um, who's a designer who's been doing some great work for us for Sound Off. Um, any of the graphics you're seeing, any of the things um, that go on on social media, Andy's been an incredible asset in in lending his talents uh, and his creative work to the Sound Off team. So we just wanted to mention him right off the bat because he's doing great work. So stay tuned again. Um, JamieSoundOff.com will have information as we go throughout the week about that. Um, and with that, we're bringing the other members of our Sound Off team, Taylor Atkins, Steve Brown, and Michael Evangelista for a segment we like to call under review and under review as always is now brought to you by our friends at skyline financial partners sound offs go to financial planning firm proudly serving the jmu community and for more about their team you can visit them at skylinefinancialpartners.com so guys welcome to the broadcast i uh, had the opportunity to watch the game yesterday with taylor we saw your heart rate go up to 109 i want to congratulate you because you're obviously in better shape than my I am because I can tell you my heart rate was much higher uh, than 109 at the end of the game. Um, Steve Brown got to see you and Alice. Michael, we know you were in the stands with a, a number of people um, yesterday enjoying um, not only during the game, you had a great post-game party that we'll get to later, but um, to start tonight's under-review segment, want to go to uh, really just looking at the atmosphere, um, some of the off the field uh, things that happened yesterday. Uh, we all know that there was a lot uh, that took place yesterday that was much bigger than football um, with the pregame ceremonies that UVA did such a tremendous job um, in honoring the the lives that were lost uh, last year, tragically, as well as honoring the families uh, and just a really beautiful presentation that included um, President Alger, Jeff Bourne, uh, as well as Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill. But um, to start off, just um, Taylor, your thoughts. I know we had a lot of conversations yesterday on just what, what we thought was uh, really a perfect representation of everything that's that's great about college um, athletics. But um, just kind of off the top, uh, what are some of the things that you really noted yesterday about the atmosphere? The thing that stood out for me is I saw very few tailgates of all purple. And I saw very few tailgates of all orange. I mean, I think every tailgate I saw was 40 or 50 people deep and it was split down the middle about half purple, half orange. And it was just really cool to see that kind of community. You have this in-state, I, I, I can't say rivalry, we hadn't played in 40 years, but you have this in-state camaraderie. A lot of people have a lot of association with both schools and it just really felt, this is what college football is about. And um, obviously I would love to see these schools play more often. There's a lot of politics um, and there's a lot of reasons why that 
may not happen and is likely not to happen. But for the for the day that it was, I think it was really cool to um, be in that atmosphere where it, it's probably the most co I don't know if cohesive is the word for but just everyone was together and everyone was enjoying representing college football, college football in Virginia, and the pride that both these schools have in their history and tradition. And, and Michael, you were, uh, had a different vantage point from uh, from the game day experience that, that we did in our section, but um, just maybe talk about what you saw from the fan support. Obviously, JMU Nation, uh, there was uh, questions beforehand, You know, what would the makeup of the crowd be? Would it be 40%, 50%, regardless of what the number um, in the attendance of 56,508 that was announced? Um, what did you see from our fans and, and just your overall impressions of what was, a, once again, a spectacular atmosphere at, at Scott Stadium? Yeah, no doubt. I was... I was pinching myself throughout the whole day because I couldn't believe it was actually happening. Um, many of you guys know, Charlottesville is actually my hometown, right? So grew up around UVA fans, grew up going to Scott Stadium, um, did all, all types of events there um, growing up there. But seeing all the purple, uh, we had a bit of a reunion. reunion. I, had, I saw folks I went to school with 10, 11 years ago. I had folks fly in from Austin, Texas to go to the game all over the country. Um, it was It was amazing. It felt like a Saturday at Bridgeforth in Fontaine. It was purple everywhere, just like Taylor was talking about. Um, we had some pretty awesome seats. We were right on like the 40-yard line on the UVA side. So we were surrounded um, by orange. But when you looked up across the stands, um, or I guess across the rafters, purple everywhere. And I was on the opposite side of the band. And looking from our vantage point, it was just sea of purple and purple. And we were talking about it. You take the student section away from UVA, it was 50-50. Like you heard it, you felt it, you saw it. Um, it, it was it was fantastic, and it was it was really exciting to see. Um, it was so strange because like I, I never thought this game would ever actually happen. And eighteen months ago to this day, it came through and thirty six thirty five, baby, let's go. And Steve, from your perspective, this is a game I know that meant a lot to you from a, from just a historical perspective and, and something I could see the emotion in you as we went throughout the, the course of the game. But um, you had the unique perspective of actually being able to go down on the sidelines uh, and, and not only see the action and, and interact with, uh, you know, from a visual perspective, the players and things around the side, but you got to see what it, what it sounded like and what it felt like from a crowd perspective um, on the sidelines. Just uh, really curious about your perspective uh, from that vantage point of what you saw yesterday. Yeah, happy to. The one thing I want to just put out there first is you can't be a flagship program in the Commonwealth of Virginia and dodge Virginia Tech and UVA. And I can represent to both of those schools, we won't do that as the flagship program in the Commonwealth. Um, we're willing to play you at any time. Um, and we understand the Walmart parking lot, anywhere on 29, whatever you want, uh, we'll take you on. So just let just want to put that out there because I know how bad that feels for those programs to have to go through that. And we promise as the king of the Commonwealth that we won't do that to you. Um, down on the field was wonderful. Down there in the second quarter, um, set down. I actually was talking to our uniform guy. I didn't know we had a uniform guy. Um, he was our guy that he's our outside dealer. It drove our uniforms from Long Island uh, down on Thursday. So those were brand new custom fitted uniforms for each player. Um, which I didn't know we had. And he, I was just chatting with him and he goes, oh yeah, I lived on, I lived in Miller Place. We lived right beside um, Miller Place when we lived in New York. And he goes, yeah, we got all these done. I do these for a hundred schools. So I just drove them down myself uh, to make sure you guys had these. Um, they look sharp. And I can tell you on the field, unbelievably loud uh, from the JMU perspective. Um, the UVA fans did a good job, but they piped in sound like they did at Louisville. 
and you could hear it coming through the speakers. Um, so it wasn't as loud as I expected it, um, but they were loud. I mean, they did a decent job, but our folks were louder. Um, no panic in anybody's eyes down there at all. Um, could see it the entire second quarter. Everybody was fine. Um, and it was just a nice, it was nice to be there. Every, all the students were respectful. All the fans were respectful. Nobody threw anything, which usually happens. I usually get something thrown at me when I'm down there, but they didn't do that. So it was, uh, it was nice. It was a great atmosphere. Um, and a good day. I mean, a really special day, a nervous day for me. I, I don't usually get nervous for JMU football games. Um, I usually have a pretty good feel. I had an uneasiness yesterday going into that game that I don't usually have. It's just, and I think it's because of the ceremony for the three young men that, that were killed. I think that had a piece of it. The other pieces, I know, good God, I know half of those people in that stadium, I think. I mean, we just, as you said, we have connections with those folks. So um, it just had a weird feel, but it, it had a great feel at the end. Yeah, and I guess maybe my last thoughts on the atmosphere. We, we always talk about um, not just what happens in, in the stands, but there were some interesting notes about concessions. I thought uh, it's something we always bring up as we have that discussion about what should JMU do with concessions inside grid fourth. Um, tons of options um, inside Scott Stadium, whether it's um, things for kids. I saw slushy stands and shaved ice. I, we saw food trucks as we walked in. Um, just interesting because UVA is also a school that is supported by Aramark, so that's something of note that hopefully lends itself to the possibility of some of those enhancements being brought to Bridgeforth. Um, maybe one negative note on, on Scott Stadium for me is I thought the internet uh, and connectivity there was as bad as any place I've ever been. I did not get a text message that came through the entire time, which meant after the game, I had about 335 messages, I think, that were on my phone on, on different platforms. Um, so with that, I, I did want to transition to the, the game itself, and we're going to have Noah Fleischman on in a moment from the Daily News Record to offer his thoughts. Um, obviously, an up-and-down game. There, there were things to really like, um, but definitely some concerns uh, as we go throughout the season in terms of some of the things we saw yesterday and how they'll play out. I'll kind of start off just with what I saw, some of the good things. Uh, a lot of question mark going into yesterday's game about um, what does JMU have at the quarterback position? Um, Jordan McLeod made his first start in over 700 days um, yesterday for the Dukes. And at least from my perspective, um, really showed that he embraced the moment, he embraced the role, um, and did not in any way, shape, or form look phased by the moment um, and showed you again, and in some of the comments we've heard in media, he may not be the practice player that that we'd all want, but the kid's a gamer. Um, and when the game was on the line, he found a way to win. He was not perfect yesterday by any stretch of the imagination, um, but definitely showed that he could really um, be somebody that could lead this team to, to hopefully the goals that we've all set forth as we started this season. Um, so Taylor, um, as you looked at the game yesterday, what are some of the things that maybe stood out both on the good side um, and then maybe um, some areas of concern as we we move through uh, the rest of the schedules starting this week with a very difficult Troy team? I had a lot of the same uneasiness that Steve had. And I think there just wasn't a lot that we were able to learn from the Bucknell game. You know, we saw some things we needed to work on. And then we saw some things where I mean, at the end of the day, we won Bucknell by 35 points. But the level of competition there, it wasn't only just a step down to FCS, but it wasn't a good FCS program. And so going into the UVA game, I just I did not know how our team I I, I knew based on what I thought, based on what a, a head coach, Kurt Signetti team prepares for. But at the end of the day, I just didn't really know what to expect. And I I do think Jordan McLeod really showed the value of having a veteran on out there in that atmosphere, the composure. Um, when I saw the game live and I'll be very transparent about some of the comments that I had to folks either through text or after the game. 
I, I found myself talking about entire units that I thought still had some question marks uh, in the UVA game. However, I came back this afternoon, watched uh, most of the game on TV, and it wasn't so much that we have units. Um, like uh, after the game, I said, I, I thought our passing unit um, it was had some issues, and I thought that our secondary unit had some issues. But really looking at the game, there were a lot of big plays at really inconvenient times for us. And it was all like, like out of every, there were a lot of big plays out of every really 10 plays. Um, there was uh, one play that really did not go our way. The other nine plays kind of um, were what we would expect to see. And I was defining that entire unit by that one play that stood out. And so I was really impressed with how uh, just the, the, the roller coaster of that game, um, I'll be transparent again, was in the concourse and was talking to a lot of people. I knew we could come back, but I didn't know we would come back. I think the players knew they would come back, and there's a big difference between uh, could and would. And so, um, I mean, just props to everyone on that team and every role that was played. Uh, it was impressive. It, it'll be something I'll never forget. And Michael, obviously, there's some performances that stood out yesterday, uh, whether it's Tyson Lawton um, really, you know, showing that he is going to be somebody in this running back room that could really make an impact and day in, day out. We saw Phoenix Sproles with his first uh, touchdown uh, catches at JMU Duke, seven catches for 40 yards, many of those in kind of some of those big moments on third and fourth down. Um, we saw you know, James Carpenter, Aiden Fisher, um, guys who really stood on the defensive side. What did you see? I know not only uh, from your perspective in the stands, uh, but now have, you've had a chance to watch the game on, on replay a couple times like like the rest of us who I think were up till probably later than we expected yesterday. Um, what are some of the performances set out, and are there any areas of concern moving forward that you saw from this game? Yeah, no doubt. Um, where do we start, right? I think I think number one, right, the, the scary part of these types of games, like P5, G5 matchups, whatever you want to call it, is there's always a handful of athletes on the other side that they're just next level. So I'll, I'll start off with a little praise to UVA. I mean, Malachi Fields, he's every bit of 6'4", 230, and we saw it. Malik Washington, their transfer from Northwestern, five foot eight. Um, I sent out a tweet earlier this week around him attacking the seams. He attacked those seams. He made some big plays. They've got ballers. They've got speed. They've got size. Um, and they took advantage of that, right? Took advantage of a lot of one-on-one matchups. They were motioning guys left and right, um, getting linebackers covering wideouts, linebackers covering running backs, et cetera. But at the end of the day, um, from a line of scrimmage perspective, shout out to the D-line and O-line. <clears throat> On the O-line front, we gave up one sack. And we talk about the UVA up front, their D-line, a bunch of 23, 24-year-old players, six, seventh-year guys, gave up one sack. And in the fourth quarter after the storm, really leaned on them. And they were pushing the pocket. I think we average, if I looked at the box score correctly, I think we were averaging like six or five or six yards a carry. And on the defensive line perspective, I think we had four or five sacks on the game and we held UVA to half, half a yard per carry. And obviously they abandoned in the second half, um, but shout out to the team. Um, but more importantly, like James Carpenter, absolute stud, um, dominated at the nose tackle uh, position. Moved him to defensive end sometimes, by the way, on like passing downs. Really interesting wrinkle there. And also a shout out to uh, Tyreek Tucker. That name might ring a bell. Number 59, a 6'1", I think 310-pound freshman. The younger brother of Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Um, really played big time. Had four tackles, one tackle for loss. First big time game. He had a little bit of time in Bucknell. But really awesome job there. And Jalen Green, stepping in for Isaac Ukwu. Um, had that sack at the end of the game, 
um, really leaned on that right tackle for UVA, who's been struggling for the last two contests. Um, really shout out to the line of scrimmage. But I think in terms of areas of improvement, I think number one, pass coverage. Really disappointed to see, considering we've got, I think, five seniors, super, super seniors at safety. And they were chasing um, UVA wide receivers left and right. So a lot of answers there. Was it scheme? Was it athlete on athlete? Was it reads? Were they not getting the calls out? Who knows? I mean, shout out to Francis Meehan who made that play on that wheel route. But we all saw on the sideline, they were scrambling to get into position. So good for him on just reading his keys and getting after it. Um, and one last thing, wideouts. I think Elijah Surratt, he's going to be a weapon down the field. He was separating from folks, getting open, key catches. Phoenix Pearls, Taji Hudson, um, throw back to his high school quarterback days, like really good job there. And then Reggie Brown, um, catching things left and right. I think we've got some inconsistencies that we need to work on, but really excited to see this, this team really come together in the next coming games. And, and Steven, we talked about during the game yesterday how impressed we were with the special teams unit. Um, second straight game with a block punt. Um, really great uh, returns at some key moments to give us some good field position. We also saw um, Ryan Hansen's six punts um, really helped us once again have field position uh, advantages throughout the game. I think he deserved better on that one that went inside the one. I think that could have been a big moment in the game. Um, what are the things that stood out to you? Any performances that, that are, are of note? Um, and are there any areas that you're looking at going forward that could be a concern for this unit? Um, yeah, a couple. I mean, I, I agree with you on the special teams. I'm, I've been really impressed um, with what they've been doing. Um, two block punts in two games and almost had a third um, coming into that game. I'm glad he pulled up because I, I think that was a smart move. But uh, Aiden, I, I spent a little bit of time with Aiden Fisher in June when I was on campus just talking to him um, and was hearing that he was going to be getting into a lot of these a lot of these situations. Didn't think he was going to play as much as he's had to. Um, but that kid is unbelievable. I mean, it's, and they've got other, other people. I'm not, I'm just singling out him because he had such a good game, but to have a block and for those that haven't played football, but I know we, the, the guys on here have blocking a punt with one freaking hand and not having to break your hand. <laughs> that was, I didn't know he blocked it with one hand until I watched the game for the third time uh, this morning at three o'clock in the morning. Um, and it was a one handed block. And that was just, I mean, it was unfreaking believable just to stick the hand in there. And he punched that that freaking fumble out. The other thing I'm going to complain about, and I don't usually do this except when I yell at the refs from the stands, um, that was a horrendous uh, refereeing crew. Horrendous. Um, I mean, the it was clear to everybody. There were several plays, um, several of their touchdown plays. There was unbelievable holding that was happening to us. But you know what? That happens in a game. Uh, but some of those chunk plays were not just, and our folks did get beat. I'm not saying that we didn't do anything wrong. Um, that annoyed me. But I'll, I'll also throw in that, you know, the running backs, I thought, um, have stepped it up a notch. Um, you don't see um, you don't see Palmer dancing anymore. He hits the hole and he plows people over. I mean, he plowed over a couple of those guys yesterday. I wasn't sure they were going to get up. Um, you know, uh, Tyson Lawson, unbelievable. Black, unbelievable. Wayne Knight. Um, I mean, so those guys, it, 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 they're just hitting it hard. And I think what happened, uh, the storm hit. We decided we're going to come out and punch you in the mouth, and that's what we did. And Unfortunately, the UVA folks decided they would, you know, do sometimes what the UVA people do. Their folks left. These guys, I don't know what happened in the locker room, but we came back. We wanted it. We were better than they are, and they know it. And that's what happened. 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we imposed our will on those guys, and there was nothing they could do about it. Um, and that was the glorious 12 minutes I can think of in a long, long time. So I'll leave it at that. 
Well, and, and that, and before we bring in Noah Fleischer, wanted to to kind of maybe step back for a second and and ask each of you where this where we go from here with this win. You know, what is the the ripple effect? What is the the impact? Um, both in the short term and potentially in the long term. I know Taylor. Um, one of the things we were discussing yesterday was where does this kind of win rank in the the history of JMU? Um, I know I had my kind of thoughts about where whether it fits in the top five. Um, you know, where where do you think this this sits in in terms of maybe your experience uh, as a fan uh, in the landscape of some of the big wins in in program history? Uh, we talked before the show about just the need to win this game because it is the first time in 40 years we have the chance. We don't think we're going to have it again. Um, you know, if you buy into a lot of what the media is saying, this is not a good UVA team. I think that's still to be determined, but it's not a good UVA team. They're at the bottom of the ACC. And regardless of what uh, we continue to go on through the season, um, the idea would be if we cannot win this game, that even a good Sunbelt team, a good JMU team, cannot go toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the bottom teams of the ACC. So it was very important to walk out of there with a win. I know the win wasn't by as much as maybe some people would have wanted, but I think the way we won, the way we came back shows that we were we were the premier team there and, and that we did not upset UVA. I think that's really important. They almost upset us. We were the favorite. We were the better team. And we've been the flagship program for the last couple of years, like Steve said. I mean, we are 10 and three in our first 13 games is FBS. I think um, a lot of people think it's a little bold for us to claim that, but two years in, it's hard to argue that there's been anyone in Virginia that's had a better introduction to this. So I, having said all of that and having said how much of a must win it was um, and talking to John, this game is just outside of my top five games all time for JMU. Um, I won't bore you with the individuals. We may put that out on social media later, but I, I will say um, it may creep into my top five based on how the end of the season ends up for both of these teams. So, um, but just outside the top five for me. Well, and that's something, if you are watching this and you disagree with Taylor and you think it should be in the top five, you know, leave it in the comments of any of our broadcasts. We'll be sure to feature it on the uh, broadcast and let you know where you think this ranks. But I do think it's an interesting discussion. I, I, I for a number of reasons, might put it in the top five, but I wanted to, to go to you, Michael. Um, one of the things I always love about you is is you are able to focus on on kind of where we stand in the recruiting landscape. I'm curious if you just, you know, obviously UVA is is a, still a P5 school, an ACC school with resources that, um, you know, we're not going to ever be able to match on, on some levels, but we are still in on some levels of recruits with them um, year in and year out. Just uh, maybe from your perspective, where do you think this um, impacts JMU from a recruiting perspective and maybe the brand overall not only in the Commonwealth, but in the Mid-Atlantic in the college football landscape. For sure. And and I agree with Taylor, right? I think the win, although close, right, solidifies JMU's stance as the top program in the state. I think hands down, no question. But I do think the win also adds more meat to the whole debate of, do you want to be on the top of the G5? Potential, right, to be part of the, the playoffs. Or do you want to join a program and be a bottom half ACC team are you going to compete with Clemson? Are you going to compete with Florida State? And I think that that really puts a good question or mindset for, for recruits going forward. And that started earlier this year, right? We Folks may not remember, but we picked up a commitment from four-star Jaja Boyd. And I think that was huge in the sense of maybe other four-stars start following through. Now we beat a P5 program. Um, we still have a ton of geographical advantages across all of the Mid-Atlantic. 
that's definitely going to get some attention, right? Really solidifies us as a true FBS power uh, powerhouse, quote unquote, in the state, but also pick up more players that maybe have not considered JMU in the past. Um, and you think about it, right? We're two and a half hours from Central PA, four hours from New Jersey. Outside of a Penn State offer, maybe a pit, where do you go as a top G5 talent, right? So I think really solidifies our position, really exciting place to be. I will say this from a, you know, I, I read the message boards. I, I you know the JMU fans are known for having insanely high expectations. We all agree. This is not a flood of blue chip, four-star, five-star players. Are we going to get more three-star guys, right? That get the Syracuse offers, the Boston College offers, the, the Buffalo offers, the UVA offers? Absolutely. Um, but we're doing that already. So really exciting times. Um, it's it's going to be all over social media about the win. We're going to have recruiting clips about it. It's going to be sold all over the country. Um, really excited to see you know where this picks up for us. And then lastly, Steve, and then we'll bring Noah into the discussion. Um, this me, I could see it on your face. Uh, you were a little emotional at the end of the game, uh, like many of us were. Um, this was personal for you as, you as you went over the last forty years. You 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 know were a fan of JMU when the last time we played UVA. So um, maybe just take us through your emotions yesterday once it was official that we were going to win after that receiver kind of broke. Uh, 20 yards maybe behind our defensive back, and we almost gave away the two-point conversion, but we we wound up winning the game. Um, did you did you process it in the moment, or is it are you still processing it today? Because I know this this meant a lot. Um, processed it part of it in the moment. It's it, it's something that's that we've been building for for 24 years, since '99, um, the hiring of Mickey Matthews. When we won in '82, um, you can call that a fluke. You know, we we were the better team that day. Nobody expected us to win that game. Um, I expected us to win in 2010 at Tech. I just did. Now that you may people may say that's too cocky. What are you doing? I thought they would be overlooking us after losing to Boise State on a Monday night in FedEx Field. And in fact, that's what they did. Um, I expected to win going up until tomorrow yesterday morning. And yesterday morning is when I got that weird feeling. <laughs> which which I really hated. I had the same freaking feeling when Trey Lance beat us down in Frisco. And I'm thinking, oh my God, when I saw that last drive, I'm thinking that's Ben DiNucci driving down and are we going to do it again where we end up losing um, a game that we could that we should win? Are we going to throw a pick in the, in the end zone? Are we going to do something? Um, but we've been building for this for 24 years. It, that's why this is a big deal. Uh, most people are going to say it's not a big deal. You beat a dumpster fire of a program. That's not true. Um, that is a team loaded with athletes that are going through an emotional transition. Um, it's difficult to play on your best day when you're up and you have everything going. The fact that Mike Hollins ran in for two touchdowns yesterday, unfreaking believable. I was excited for him at the same time I was aggravated that he scored. It was such a weird feeling because I usually follow this team when they're not playing JMU. So I was extremely excited for us. It helps our branding. It helps our recruiting. Um, it does solidify the fact that we, you know, we know we've been here, but we are here. We're not going away. We're not some annoying little brother. We're not some group of jabronis like the clown from the Augusta Free Press claims. That's not who we are. Um, we're, a, we're a respected program in the mid-Atlantic. We're a respected program throughout the United States. And we're now the top program in the state, whether you want it to be or not. That's where we are. Now, if you want to come knock us off of that, knock us off. But from the recruiting standpoint, we are it. 
If you want to win and you want to have the best chance to win in the playoffs that'll be next year, it's in Harrisonburg, Virginia, playing for James Madison University. If you want to go to one of these other programs and claim you're a P5 player, have fun. But if you want to win, you come play You come play with us, and we're going to win. We'll be in the playoffs within the next three years. I can't say we'll be in it next year, but I can tell you, the next three years, we'll be in that playoff. So play, play with us or don't. It's up to you. And with that, to get uh, another perspective on yesterday's performance, I did want to bring in Noah Fleischman. And Noah, will uh, get to at the end of the discussion the, the personal news that you you announced on Twitter yesterday. Um, but you had a, a different perspective, being in the press box yesterday, um, getting a chance to see it from from up high. Um, just kind of taking us from the beginning and the lead up to the game, and, and the uh, obviously the pregame ceremonies to, to what we all saw at the end. Um, maybe just kind of your high-level thoughts from from what was clearly an up-and-down um, contest yesterday. I, one, one note, I saw the ESPN uh, kind of index of, of who's predicted to win and who's who's going to win. It went from all the way JMU at the beginning, the UVA, and then back at the end. So it was a it was a roller coaster game. And uh, just take us from your perspective uh, in the press box uh, at Scott Stadium. Yeah, you know, it's a unique press box in itself. I mean, it's open air. There's no windows. You kind of see, it feels like I'm sitting in the crowd. I mean, there was people right in front of me, like, you know, right under us that are, that are in the crowd. So, obviously, that was cool. Um, you know, coming into the game, obviously, you know, a kind of a big-level game from a media point of view. I'm just playing playing UVA and kind of, you know, you guys already touched on, you know, for the first time in 40 years and what that had. But, yeah, early in the game, I thought JMU started fast, which was something they didn't do a week before. Um, they had, you know, first drive was really well, and then you know, block punt right after, and end up fourteen nothing. I looked at the Shane who was sitting next to me. I was like, all right, I'm like, time to start writing. And so I started writing a story and quickly rewrote that story about six times throughout the game as it went up and down. I was, you know, I used the rain delay to kind of write a story that, you know, all right, well it's over, and then quickly had to had to change it there. So yeah, no, you know, I thought it was good. Um, I thought that the delay. Was the help was helpful. I mean, that's what everyone after the game said. Helped them reset and come out and play a new game. And then and they credited the JMU fans for staying. Um, there was obviously a lot more JMU fans in there um, for the last twelve minutes of the game, which which you could hear right from from the get go. And I think that was good. So overall, JMU showed up when they needed to. There was a, a rough third quarter there, but you know after that they they it closed and were able to you know get the offense rolling and the defense you know did its thing on the on that last drive. And, and Noah, no, I wanted to ask you before we bring in Taylor, um, j just from what was the, you know, there was an uneasiness in the fans. I'm just curious. You had a chance to to probably watch the game with, um, with Mike Barber and Greg Medea, and there were a number of other reporters. Maybe a, maybe a more packed press box than typical. Um, what was kind of the mood among the the media in the press box watching that game, and and maybe some of the the mindsets around what we thought was was going to occur on on you know as the game kind of went from the emotional beginning through you know kind of the questions around that obviously the rain delay and stuff that that kind of changed the dynamic in the game. Yeah, you know we really talked at halftime to kind of get up. It's a pretty big press box, so we're, we're kind of you know farther down from the you know the Virginia media that was there. Um, but you know we talked at halftime, and it's like, well, we thought that halftime score was gonna be the final score of how that game you know going into the game seventeen fourteen. I thought that as a prediction was was gonna be the final score. So you know we were really surprised. You know everyone in the in the press box I think to see you know how well both teams scored and how quickly they scored um, in the first half, because that obviously wasn't going to be the game plan. And then Anthony Nicolandria, I think he, you know, was probably the biggest surprise to see what he could do and, and throw for almost 400 yards um, against a JMU defense that has been okay against the past. And, 
And, you know, I think the feeling that I had, I turned around and told Chris Brooks, you know, during the game, like, it felt like the game at Georgia Southern a year ago where JMU could stop the run, but had no answer for the pass for the most part. And that's what happened. I mean, they didn't throw for over 500 yards like Kyle Vantries did that day. But, you know, it kind of seemed like at times, you know, Anthony Calandria basically could go wherever he wanted with it. Um, Noah, I want to go back to a comment you said about the, the JMU fans and staying because I just want to, I don't know when we're going to have another chance to point this out during this podcast, but go, if you're watching this, go online, go on social media, check out all the posts of the MRDs, of the students. I mean, there are some great pictures and great videos of the JMU students that took over that part of the hill. I mean, there's a video of Duke Dog leading them in this cheer. It's incredible. And then there's another video of the MRDs up in the stands playing away while the Cavalier band went inside. And um, I think after we came back from the weather break, the students had come over the tunnel where the team was coming out. And I mean, it just had this awesome home game atmosphere. So if you weren't there at the game, there are tons of pictures and videos online. Go check those out because it was really awesome. You'll know what Noah was talking about. But Noah, the question I had for you was you are one of the people, one of the few people outside of the players and the coaching staff um, that saw most of fall camp, that saw the quarterback battle, that saw these quarterbacks before the Bucknell game. Most JMU fans um, leading up to this game, all they knew about their two quarterbacks was what they saw at Bucknell, which was really hard to gauge. Um, so tell me when you, you talked about writing that article six different times throughout the game, from what you knew of McLeod with the context of fall camp, um, what were your thoughts as that roller coaster was happening in the game? I mean, did you were you surprised by how well he was able to perform under stress and pressure? Um, or did you, is this the quarterback that you saw throughout fall camp? That's interesting because, you know, as Chris Signetti said, I think, you know, last week that Jordan McLeod is a lot better of a player in a game than he is at practice. And some guys are just like that when the lights come on and there's another team and, you know, that's just their their motivation or whatever it is. But, you know, there's times in full camp you'd see him. Obviously, you don't get to see a ton of practice. Get to see, you know, an hour um, of each day of practice. But, you know, you can still see things. Um, still see them throwing routes on air. There's no defender, but you can see. And, and sometimes a deep ball wasn't his best throw in, in practice. Um, but, you know, these last two weeks, he's had a pretty deep ball in, in that. But, you know, we also saw, you know, against Virginia, especially, sometimes there's just not enough zip behind the ball. And against other teams that have better corners and the corners that are, are closer to the uh, to the receiver, you know, it, it has a chance to get picked off. I mean, there was one that he almost got intercepted on, um, kind of, you know, a little bit over the middle, kind of near the sideline, the middle field. I mean, that one probably should have been an interception. Um, got away with it there. I mean, there's stuff like that where it's like, you know, it's a little underthrown, and we we saw that a little bit. Um, he got away with it against Virginia. He made some good throws too against Virginia. I'm not gonna say every ball was underthrown, but there was definitely a couple that you know. He probably want to have back and, you know, missed a receiver here or there. But uh, overall, I think it's interesting. I don't know if I expected him to lead a 14, you know, 11 point comeback um, in a big environment like that because he had played in at Notre Dame and had played at Oregon. But neither game really was a pretty game for his team and, and him personally. Um, I mean, at Oregon, he threw five interceptions um, when he was at, at Arizona. So. He played well in the in a tough environment, which was actually good to see and kind of see the growth of being in that before and, and it being able to kind of you know take that to the next step. You know, I'll, I'll just say real quick, you were talking about some of those close calls. I was sitting with John in the stands, and John, you remember when I turned around to you during that two point conversion, and I looked at you and I said, "If we lose this game, had lost this game on a pick two, um, I, 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 I never recover I, from that if that occurs. I just want that to right. be done. That, that would have been the most New York Jets thing to happen, which is why I had an uneasy. <laughs> 
Did you did you hear did you hear what the conversation was on the side? So so Kurt Sidney called a timeout before the two minute or before the two point conversion and told Jordan McLeod one thing, which is don't throw an interception that gets returned for a touchdown. <laughs> and he said he nodded and then goes out there and almost threw an interception. Not his fault. He just thought that the linebacker wasn't going to get there, and uh, he got there. But uh, Jordan said he was ready to run down the field if he needed to to go make a tackle. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think Jordan saw that linebacker follow Kalon Black oh, out. He, he said he saw him. He said he just thought oh. he could beat him there. Wow. <laughs> there you go. No with the inside. I love it. Um, follow up, following up on Taylor's question, right? You've you obviously been in a lot of the practices. Uh, JMU, year two in FBS, is really like leaning in on a number of young players, right? Aiden Fisher, Jacob Thomas, Tyreek Tucker. I called him out earlier in the podcast. But Signetti had some pretty strong choice words around seniors on this team and their performance um, on and off the field. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, what do you make of a question like that? What do you make of Signetti choosing that setting, right, to mention the seniors on the team? Um, and what do you think that means for them going forward? Yeah, he's the kind of guy that likes to use the media sometimes to motivate players. He did it at media day, I think to motivate Jordan McLeod in the, in the quarterback battle by saying he wants an experienced quarterback to, to play in these, these next stretch, which ended up happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you take it too you take it seriously to the point where, you know, the guys were getting frustrated. He called out a player for getting frustrated on the defense. Um, but I think, you know, young players playing well is a good thing, but the seniors, I think, you know, he wants them to tighten up and, and this is the way he's going to do it. He's going to go through the media a little bit. He's also, what he's telling us in the media is a lot different than what he's telling them behind the closed doors like i'm almost certain so the message will be heard loud and clear especially now that it's out there publicly that you know he wants to see that tightened up and i, I don't think it'll be a problem moving forward but you know you talk about those young guys they played well tyreek tucker pretty sure started on the d-line um against virginia and that d-line itself i think almost all of them played every position on that during the game except maybe emmanuel bush he, i don't think he played at the end but everyone else basically played every, on every spot of that line which is extremely difficult I mean, that's the other thing that a lot of folks probably don't know, but it's difficult to play tackle and then switch out and play end. Um, it's a wonderful thing if you can do it because it confuses the hell out of your offensive linemen. And that's what happened to UVA. They had no idea why Carpenter moved. And when he moved, then he could do whatever he wanted. And um, I love the fact that we have that. But that's just a comment. The question I have for you is, um, who has surprised you? on the JMU roster after two games. And I'll really say after one, because I think Bucknell's a scrimmage. But really, after the after yesterday, who has surprised you as kind of stepping up um, from the JMU roster? Yeah, I think Taji Hudson is kind of a guy that's really, you know, sticks out. Obviously, a little bit of hype coming around. in the camp, just Kurt Signetti was excited to see him. But, you know, we didn't get to see a lot of him against Bucknell. He got overthrown a couple of times um, in the first half and, you know, missed the second half, just had, had a nagging foot thing and, and just decided to, to, you know, hold him out. But, I mean, I was surprised to see a, a touchdown pass from him. Uh, so, you know, he made a lot of big catches, and I think that's good. And then, you know, you also can look around on the defense. And, and Aiden Fisher's taking a big step this year. He played a lot of special teams a year ago, but he's playing a lot of defensive snaps. If you've realized, he's rotating in at, at linebacker. They're playing with three linebackers. And and when, you know, Jalen Walker exits with an injury, there's no, no misstep there with him coming in, which is a good thing because that's an all-conference linebacker that he's replacing. And I think he's got a chance to do something really special. And, when you have three young linebackers, I think that's that's a good thing that Jamie's got a problem with right now. So, no, we're going to talk uh, to the uh, Troy game this upcoming. Uh, obviously, a big moment in the season, getting a chance to, to see where we stack up against a team that um, obviously rose to the top of the Sun Belt last year. Going forward for this program, I'm curious, 
obviously there's been a lot of discussion online about the secondary concerns and and you know that obviously manifested itself yesterday uh maybe from your perspective what are some of the, the areas that if you're a jamie fan looking at next week's game you might keep you up a little bit at night this week Secondary is one. They've got a good quarterback at Troy. I mean, you know, and, and Gunnar Watson. And I think, you know, that's the big thing. You look at the corners, Chauncey Logan likes to press a ton. You see that against Virginia. He's throwing receivers to the ground half the time and, and doing things like that. But on the other side, you know, whoever's on the other side, you know, they rotated between Brent Austin and some safeties and things like that. They're playing off a little bit more. And UVA was able to take control of that. And I think Troy's going to see that on, on the film and, and realize, you know, take advantage of it. You can't run really against JMU. It's going to be interesting. Kamani Vidal is probably one of the best running backs in the conference, maybe, you know, in the group of five as a whole. Um, so Troy's going to have, you know, Jamie's going to have their, their defense going to have hands full, but I think secondary is probably the spot to look at, you know, offensively. A lot of those questions Mark got answered this weekend, but uh, yeah, defensively, there's a lot more to work on than I think they anticipated wanting to have to work on, you know, going to the Troy. No, I mentioned earlier how, you know, we're still so early in the season for JMU. Uh, you know, we played an FCS opponent that Steve mentioned was kind of like a scrimmage. We've played this game against UVA that a, a lot of folks in the media have been, um, I guess, the opposite of hyping up this team. And some even going as far as saying, you know, UVA is a bottom 10 team, bottom 20 team in the country. Um, but, you know, a lot of that preseason talk, and again, I, I'd say it's media putting the bias on a lot of the fans as a member of the media, uh, both as covering college football and what you've seen, how good do you think that UVA team is going to go on to be? And do you think JMU fans will look back at this game any differently than they do today? Yeah, I think it's hard to say about this year, just with everything they're dealing with, you know, on the field, off the field. Um, you know, they're not a very good ACC team. And that's just kind of, you can see that. I mean, Boston College also isn't a very good ACC team. Um, so they're going to live in the bottom of the, of the ACC this year, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, you look at Florida State is, what, number two in the country right now in the ACC. Clemson's struggling, but Duke is playing well. So there's a lot of good teams in, the, in that conference. Um, so I don't think, you know, they're not going to go and, and close out the year on a 10-game winning streak and go 10-2. and two. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the win games, they're not going to go 0-12. Um, but, the you know, I think they're going to be a, a bottom of the, the pack ACC team, which is fine, especially with that they're dealing with. I think it's more of a big win that they're on the field right now, playing games, being competitive. They weren't competitive against Tennessee, and they looked to be not competitive in the first quarter against JMU, but turned it around and it made it a really good game. So I think it's a good win for JMU. You know, nationally from a landscape, it's not going to move the needle. As you see, JMU didn't pick up any more AP votes than they had going into the game. They did pick up a coach's poll vote, um, but that – usually is a lot different than the AP poll. So it's not going to move the national landscape, but in Virginia, people knows what, knows what it means, you know, when you look at that. So I think regionally it's fine. Nationally, it doesn't really do much to, to the JMU brand. I think this week's game does a lot nationally though. So no, I know you uh, made the, the Twitter announcement that you know, you'll be moving from the DNR here. And I uh, just want to say, like, really just enjoyed your content the last couple of years. You've, I mean, you've really highlighted some amazing stories around the players, the program, et cetera. Um, you were talking about the press box earlier at UVA, and you mentioned some big names, the Mike Barber, who covered JMU during the, the Rodney Lander years, and Greg Medea during the national championships and college game days. So love to hear your perspective. Maybe take us behind the scene. Like, we're there. Any fun comments or just banter back and forth from folks that have seen JMU from having a 12,000-seat stadium to now just knocking off UVA 
because I'm sure that was a, a pretty interesting perspective for you. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think you know it's cool. David Teal is also there. He he's a JMU alum. You know, he he's he. I think it was around the time that they last played UVA, kind of in that same ballpark um, of going to JMU. Maybe he's already out by then. But no, I think it was good. They all have different understandings of the JMU program, right? Mike Barber saw it, you know, what this national beast is today when it was, you know, first getting started. And then obviously Greg knows, knows a lot about it. Um, so yeah, they, they, I think, you know, I think they, if it was a different team, say they beat Wake Forest instead of Virginia, I don't think the opposing media would have had it understood how big of a win it was for JMU, but knowing that, you know, you look across the way and, and the people that are covering UVA from a UVA standpoint, all basically have a JMU background one way or another. And a lot have covered this, this team. Um, I think that that helped, you know, in that sense. But yeah, they were they were they were also impressed by their by UVA and how UVA was hanging with JNU, to be honest. So I think that's kind of more the thing is they didn't expect it to be as close, I think, as it was, or at least at least as high scoring as as it was. And, and Noah, I just wanted to give you a chance uh, before we wrap up our discussion, um, maybe reflect back in your time covering this team. Uh, is there a favorite moment uh, from for your time? you know, both at practice and in game coverage or um, maybe just a parting message that you'd like to to share with our fans who obviously uh, lived and died by uh, the Twitter for notifications that came in every day from now your two articles a day. Um, just yeah. uh, give you an opportunity to to share some final thoughts uh, before we wish you well in your, your next endeavor. No, no, it's been great. Um, I've been, what, almost two years here, so that's cool. But yeah, yeah you know, I think it's been good. I learned a lot, um, but it's also been fun. I think I'm trying to think of fun story to say but uh last year was wild eight and three game but um i don't know there's nothing that really that sticks out there's a lot of different things i mean getting pulled over in arkansas at one in the morning was kind of funny but that was because my rental car's headlights weren't working right and then the ex the tags were expired and the cop was a nice guy it was one in the morning and i was the only one on the highway in arkansas driving back to memphis so that was a funny story but i don't, I don't know i i think that one was cool I don't know how cool it really was in the moment, but uh, no, yeah, it was, it's been a good time. I mean, it's obviously learned a lot. I, I took this job when I was in college still um, graduated, you know, six months after taking the job. So I think there was that I learned a lot, you know, doing this and kind of treated it, you know, it treated it as if it was a full-time job because it was, um, but yeah, I definitely learned a lot too. Well, one thing I'll say is we've learned now over the years, I, I think when, when Greg announced he was leaving, um, you know, maybe some people's first move was to unfollow and Mike Barber, but we see these things tend to be cyclical and you never know when Jamie will be playing a team that you're covering in the future. And, and I think just on behalf of uh, everyone associated with this program, but everybody associated with Jamie in general, um, thanks for giving us uh, maybe those escapes uh, daily that, that give us an opportunity to to get away from the troubles of life and, and lose ourselves in your, your great content and, um, and all the podcasts you did with Shane and, and just always being so responsive, always being willing to jump on programs like this. I think that speaks to your character. And I also think it speaks to your instincts. Uh, They're going to lead you well going in the future in your career. So I know we're not going to say per se exactly where you're going net uh, tonight, but I would encourage people uh, to follow your Twitter account in the days to come uh, when you make your big announcement. And we hope to uh, come across you in, in the future and wish you well and maybe see you at a VCU game down the road or something <laughs> when you get back in town. So you never know. Maybe you'll. Find your way back to Times Dispatch covering that team in the future. You never know. But uh, <laughs> you never know. All the best to you. But seriously, Noah, uh, it, it meant a lot. And we're just grateful for the support you've given to this program as well. Um, so all the best going forward. Um, and with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break here on JMU Sound Off. And when we come back, we're going to bring in Thomas Gleaton from 
the uh, give us the Troy perspective from the team at the Trojan Wall. And with that, you're listening to JMU Sound Off. And here's our quick break from our sponsors at the Montpelier Collective. At JMU, we're used to winning on the field. Everything we do, we do with one thought in mind, to be the best. The Montpelier Collective allows us to continue playing on level playing field. It provides our student athletes with an opportunity to increase their brand through name image likeness opportunities. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And because everything we do, we do to be the best, we need everybody to commit and support the Montpelier Collective. Go Dukes. And with that, welcome back to JMU Sound Off as we turn our attention now to this week's big matchup uh, as we welcome uh, the opportunity to really preview what I think is going to be one of the more pivotal moments um, in this season as we kind of maybe get a sense for where this team really stacks up in the Sun Belt landscape. And with that, we bring us Thomas Gleaton. Um, Thomas, thanks for taking time with us today. We're, we're all fans of your work at the Trojan Wall. And, and one thing we've mentioned um, both in some of our Twitter discussions, and I know you're on a, a group chat with Michael Evangelista. There's one thing we've loved about coming into the Sun Belt uh, is getting the opportunity to get the perspectives of uh, not only fans from other programs, but media and, and, and bloggers and people who do what we do each and every week. It's made this so much more fun um, having engaged fans. Um, so, so Thomas, thanks for for taking a few minutes, but really just kind of right off the bat, um, you're two games in in your season, one win, one loss. Um, maybe share some of your kind of high-level thoughts on on you know where you think this Troy team is, especially compared um, to the team that that reached the top levels of the Sun Belt last season, winning the Sun Belt Championship. Just curious, early on, um, maybe some of your comparisons between this unit and, and what you saw last year. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me again. You're absolutely right. Um, I love this conference. I love this conference so much because um, you've got uh, you, you've got uh, schools in major metropolitan areas like Atlanta and um, and, and Mobile and uh, uh, out in San Marcos between the two Texas uh, big cities there. Um, and, and, but the, the, it feels like these fan bases and these alumni bases are so passionate about what they do and that they're able to put, they, they do put that heart into creating content. And it's, I love to see it across the board. Um, as to your question, um, well, honestly, the thing is, I feel like we've seen exactly what we expect. Maybe, um, we, we expected to be one and one at this point, sort of, if you were a realist at the beginning of the year. You were saying we win FCS and Kansas State, this big, the, the reigning Big 12 champion, beat TCU, who went to the national championship game, got defeated, like just completely pummeled by Georgia, but they beat TCU for the conference championship game. They're a really good team. So uh, y'all keep talking. I hear you talking about um, James Madison, this being a test for them. This is a test for us too, to see where we've come from. Um, I think from what I have seen though, as far as Troy's concerned, I hear a lot of a lot of people, whether it be the Troy fan base or other fan bases, saying, "Oh, this Troy team isn't the isn't the same as it was last year." Well, that's not entirely true. The offense feels pretty much the same. You got Gunnar Watson back. You got Kamani Vidal back. Um, the the offensive line changed faces, but it's still the same level. It's still the same function. It's still the same offensive strategy. Um, the only difference, real difference on offense is you've got new guys or you've actually got a different transfer. Ray J. Johnson from UAB last year was the real big ball, big guy, deep threat guy for Troy. 
This year, uh, Troy brought in Kentucky transfer Chris Lewis. Don't know if you saw it, but he made an impact on the game last Saturday with two incredible one-handed catches to put the only Troy touchdown on the board on Saturday. Um, it's a lot of similarities there on defense. I think the first takeaway that everybody had when they saw Troy for 2023 was they don't have Carlton Marshall. They don't have this, uh, you know, NCAA's leading tackler anymore, but it on the surface at, on the paper, it kind of seemed like the defense talent wise didn't really change. Um, sure. There was experience lost. There was production lost, but the way that the defense works with shifting in players and shifting out players, it didn't feel like that level dropped off. It only felt like the real power shifted away from the linebackers into the secondary. And you see that, which we'll get into this with the players to watch, but Reddy Stewart, like the most obvious example, um, he's already caught two interceptions, one each game so far, but he literally took over the number two mantle from Carlton Marshall, kind of a like uh, 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 handing, passing the torch from Carlton to Reddy in wearing that number two on defense. Uh, we'll get more into players to watch and I'll be naming a lot of the secondary guys, but um, that's, that's kind of how this, uh, this, this team has, has come across is there is a lot of the same, but Saturday, Saturday taught us a lot about what this team is. Um, I mean, we'll get into it, but I think the, the big take, the first takeaway for me from this Kansas State game is uh, y'all played a Virginia team that might be at the bottom of the ACC. We played a Kansas State team that might go to the national championship. Um, I, I, they are just that talented. They're at that level. They're developed. And um, second of all, why didn't y'all tell me that we were going to play Darren Sproles' alma mater one week and then play his cousin the next? Come on, guys. Give us a break. Thomas, um, at, you know, as, as earlier in this podcast, and we were reflecting on what the UVA win meant to the JMU Nation, uh, we were reflecting a lot back on our history and uh, the transition from FCS to FBS and some of the monumental seasons we had. Can you introduce uh, the Troy program to maybe some JMU fans that aren't as familiar and tell us, walk us through your path from FCS to FBS and what you guys consider some of your monumental seasons that stand out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we can start with the last time these two teams met in 1999, that 27 to seven win in the playoffs. Uh, Troy, I was it, did it, I, I, I'm not versed with y'all, but what, did that feel like it kind of ended your season and derailed it a little bit? Um, like kind of a letdown after a really good season because we that felt probably, that. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, Steve, you might want to chime in there cause you were probably following it uh, before the rest of us were you are absolutely correct <laughs> so i do remember that troy game man we felt that too i think we had one with georgia southern in 1993 because we had a uh, an undefeated season that ended with a very close loss in the playoffs and the 90s troy teams never got to the national championship but they were in the playoffs every single year 2001 the trojans move up um and uh, 2004 is a big year for Troy on so many levels. First of all, uh, DeMarcus Ware, it's a senior season. You might have heard of this guy. He was just named into the Hall of Fame, Troy's first Hall of Famer. Um, he made a splash. Uh, second, first game of the season, Troy beat Marshall for the second year in a row. Um, big win for Troy because it felt like things were actually hat like this program had momentum and it was their first, also the first season for Troy 2001, they moved to FBS 2004. They joined the Sun Belt, kind of a similar like path of progression as JMU, except about 20 years earlier. Um, and we didn't immediately jump into the Sun Belt, but that 2004 year 
starts with a win against Marshall. The second, uh, very second game, Troy State drops the state out of its name, and it's officially Troy Trojans wearing the shield helmets. It's the first time they're on national TV, ESPN2. They're hosting ranked Missouri. I, th- I think they were ranked, um, and Troy wins. I think if you ask every Troy fan, half of them will say that Missouri win is probably the biggest win in Troy history. Um, it was a big deal. Uh, the the Probably the second or third time that the uh, field goal came down and was taken down to a bar down the road. Um, but that was it. That's where it felt like Troy had finally made it onto the scene. Uh, and then the next five years in a row, each year won the conference championship. Um, uh, five Pete's. You can't beat it. Uh, the coach, Larry Blakeney, was the coach that brought Troy up. Um, he kind of, like, after that last fifth conference championship, not really, didn't really get any anywhere. 2013, there was uh, bowl eligible, but didn't really get to something. Brought in Neil Brown, another guy you might have heard of. Uh, felt like a night and day uh, transition in 2016. First Sunbelt team to ever be ranked. Uh, first 10-win season at the FBS level for Troy. Started off three years of uh, 10 straight win seasons and another conference championship. Um, he left for West Virginia. We brought in some guy that we don't have to mention, a couple years of not-so-greatness. And then last year brought in John Sumrall, and you see where it stands. I think last year is probably the one of the greatest seasons in Troy history. Um, there are three uh, small-time national championships that you can go back and reflect on, but – it's the first time that Troy has done as much as it did at this level, 12 and two uh, conference championship and ending the season ranked. Um, it was, that was it. That that's the peak so far. And so it's kind of weird to kind of step into this year. You have to level your expectations a little bit because the, obviously you want to go 13 and zero the next year, but it's not necessarily going to happen. And so it part of the pain of Saturday was not just like losing the way it did, but it kind of, it was the final fallback to earth that Troy is a good team, but not necessarily the world beater that it was last year, but they still have that talent because not much has changed. So it's still, you know, like I said, one and two, we expected to win against Stephen F. Austin. You see the highlights here and then you, um, or that's the coastal game. My bad. I can't read. Um, But you see game one, you beat Stephen F. Austin. Game two, um, you lose to Kansas State. You expected those two outcomes. Now we get an actual chance against a team that we expect to be on the same level as. So um, I think we might be getting into this, but this Coastal game, uh, that was such a thrilling, a thr- such a thrilling game to watch. Um I have to say that I I think we were going to ask, I think somebody was going to ask it. I think somebody was going to get to it, but um, it's absolutely true to say that <laughs> y'all kind of softened them up for us. I'm kind of stealing thunder here, but um, when I when I saw the final score of that James Madison Coastal Carolina game, I was like, this might, this might get ugly, and I hope it does, and it did. So um, kudos to y'all. That was uh, a great, a great feeling to watch this happen. Thomas, appreciate you hopping on and, and thank you for the context here. Um, one of the exciting things, and I've actually got two questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you know, learning more about Sunbelt programs has been phenomenal, right? Since joining uh, the, the the conference last year. When I think of Troy, DeMarcus Ware, OCU Minora, 
uh, Leitis uh, McKelvin, uh, the corner. I think they just jo- he just joined the Troy Hall of Fame. I think two a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about like Troy's pecking order in the state of Alabama, recruiting <laughs> like personnel. Like, give us a little insight there. I'm curious, so, like, what Troy has been doing. Uh, so, uh, if we're talking about the state, um, I think y'all. Y'all are having the conversation. JMU is the best program in Virginia. You, uh, you probably are. I'm, I'm going to give you that. I don't mind saying that out loud and taking that one. Um, last year, Troy was the best team in Alabama. Um, it's, I mean, Nick Saban's Nick Saban. He's going to be who it is. Um, Auburn is the other team. You know, like there are two. Uh, there are two. I'm so sorry, my cat. If y'all can hear him, um, there are two two teams in the state like y'all understand with Virginia and Virginia Tech those are the two that everybody like it feels like you have allegiance to but you don't have to it feels like people in the state don't necessarily like they don't realize they don't have to have those choices but um Troy is to me and I feel like uh at least right now the number three team with history uh current talent level uh, just across the board um you're going to have Alabama and Nick Saban as number one there. I can't argue with that. I can't fight with a man who fight against a man who's uh, won so many national championships. But um, as far as like what this team is uh, for this program is um, it's the best of, I guess the next, I hate putting it that way because it feels like Troy's the best to me, but as a realist, you know, you've got uh power five, uh, if you've got power five got teams at the top, then Troy number two, UAB and South Alabama, just two young programs. UAB had those great years when they were revived. Um, South Alabama is just too young, but um, at, at, from across the board, I feel like uh, it, it's Troy's the best of the rest. Love it. Love it. So you, you mentioned, you know, our, our sentiments on JMU. I'm curious from like your perspective from Troy, like, when Jamie joined the Sun Belt last year, what were your initial thoughts? First gut instinct was, well, damn, our our softball is going to be so good now. I'm so excited to see um, literally a College World Series team back in the conference. It happened with Coastal. When they joined, they were in baseball. They were in the College World Series, and I said, damn, this is going to be a good baseball conference. Same thing with that. Um, I also think the more I, the more I like ruminate on it, um, the best teams in the conference, or at least the the, the teams that brought the most, um, App State and Georgia Southern, have this rich history of winning at the lower level. And I think that's what JMU brings as well, too, is that you're not just a team that was uh, – you're not just a team that was FCS that's moving up. You were a team that was really good and mo- made the move up. That's the same with Troy. That's the same with App. That's the same with Georgia Southern. And uh, they're – Teams that bring that to the table obviously have had the most success in this conference. Um, and I'd love to see other teams that in a way deserve it moving up. Awesome. I, I know, I know I said two questions, but I do yeah. have a third. So big matchup this coming weekend. Um, obviously Gunnar Watson, Kamani Vidal, like big names that we already know about. Tell us a little bit about like matchups between our team that you're excited about, or maybe matchups, you're excited to see on the field or we need to know about like curious to hear your thoughts. So the first thing that comes to my mind is that the Troy's uh, defensive line uh, is, is its strength. Um, it, it put the pressure on Kansas state um, for better or for worse last week. 
um, to see the defensive line and what it can do against, um, I guess, if McLeod is your number one guy to see what a mobile guy against this defensive line is. Um, the secondary is, uh, I want to see what it can do um, because that's the number two thing is to me is the defense in hierarchy order is this defensive line. Then the secondary is such a shutdown, um, such a takeaway heavy uh, unit. Um, and then as far as I want to see the, what the linebackers do too, just to see like how they play at a conference level. Um, but I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I know I gave you an unanswer in saying literally every set, every unit of the defense, but the defensive line to me, number one is just to see that. Um, on offense, um, I I don't feel like Troy's passing game really got to develop. Um, the way that this team works is that it runs first and that sets up the pass, but it it fails when it only relies on the pass. Um, but the problem is looking at your um, looking at uh, the, the stats for uh, JMU. There's a lot of passing yards that were given up, and I'm as a Troy alum, as a Troy uh, content creator and fan, season ticket holder, whatever. Uh, that's what I want to see is, um, is can Troy's passing game actually step up and, uh, be a big part of it and, uh, trivia that just popped up. I love that. It's true. Larry Blakeney, um, is the coach. Uh, he moved Troy. He technically didn't coach, uh, Troy at the division two level. He came in immediately after the last season at the division two level, but yes, he um, moved Troy up on, from D2 to D1, FCS to FBS. Um, the other one, if y'all don't know, is Central Florida UCF. I was watching, um, I was watching the Stephen F. Austin game actually today. Um, and I thought they did a pretty decent job for a while um, hanging with you guys. And I guess what I'm going to ask you is what worries you about JMU coming into Troy this weekend? Uh well, a lot. Um, it, the the truth is that Troy has kind of made a little, a few too many mistakes uh, in both games, and it's not mistakes like big fumbles or interceptions because this has kind of been kept to the minimum. It's the missed, it's the not wrapping up in tackles, it's the busted coverage, it's here and there and tightening that that sort of uh, those mistakes up because that's that's what destroyed Kansas State and what's what kept Stephen F. Austin even close to the game there. Um, I I want to see what a mobile more mobile quarterback can do because it didn't feel like Stephen F. Austin's quarterback was really going to do that. And um, Will Howard of Kansas State just kind of he's kind of a pocket guy, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's just kind of what he is. So I'm interested to see that. I guess that's another answer to the matchups you want to see. Um, if I didn't already say it, but. Um, and then uh, I'm always always interested to see how Troy's offensive line stacks up against other teams because last year it felt like there were four really good defenses at the top of the conference, and James Madison was one of them. So I want to see how this Troy offensive line stacks up against uh, James Madison's defensive line. So, Thomas, uh, kind of last two questions for me. First off, uh, there are a number of JMU fans who are going to be making the trip down uh, for this game. Uh, what are some of the the hot spots you'd recommend? If uh, is there a must see place in Troy? And you said it's a smaller town, but you it said is. there's some pretty good barbecue uh, that you can get near the university. Um, so absolutely, uh, it's called Hooks Barbecue. It's on two thirty one. Uh, it's just it's right next to the Walmart. Before you get to the Walmart, um, trust me, get there uh, early as you can. Um, if you're not able to get anything there, my advice is to go to the square, which is the downtown area. Again, small town. It feels like a small town. It's lovely. Um, there's a place called Flo's Kitchen that's right off the square. 
uh, again, get there early because um, I, it's been known to uh, close because it's just got a small staff. It's a small town, small everything. Um, my advice to you, if you're going to go on, uh, go to Troy is check out the campus. Just walk around. It's gorgeous. Um, I, I absolutely, one of the things that blew me away when I first went uh, as a senior in college was just how pretty it is. Um, brick buildings. There's a cert, there's a, a definite like architectural style that pervades everything from uh, the mess from, from the cafeteria to the dorms, to the buildings, to the football stadium. Um, and it's just, it's just pretty to do that. Obviously tailgating's a must. Um, but uh, my advice, hooks, barbecues, number one, flows, kitchens, number two, um, that other than that, it's kind of a lot of, uh, Kind of sort of chains. There's one called Santa Fe Cattle Company. It's kind of a chain, but um, it's not a chain that I don't think anybody else has heard of outside of that corner of the state. Um, and then there's another one on the square called B Graves was the restaurant I was going to suggest. But um, the other three are, are are one, two, three for me to suggest. Now, we got invited to a tailgate. Um, the woman that runs the Renaissance um, reservations in Montgomery all right. I talked to her. She said, "She said I'm a Troy alum. You got to come by." So I never show up empty-handed. What what kind of booze are you guys? Bourbon drinkers? Are you all the all the above? What's your uh, yeah, all of the above for sure. Um, something I was going to bring up is something to do. I can't bring it up yet because it's not open yet. But Clyde Mays is opening a distillery. They're building it right now in Troy. So future reference if y'all ever come back to Troy for maybe say a conference championship game. I don't know if it'll be open by then, but um. That I, I'm really excited to go check that out myself. But yes, uh, bourbon, um, beer's good. Um, you know, yeah, I think that I think that those you really can't go wrong with those two, can you? And, and Thomas, uh, one last question from us is: uh, as we said off the top of this interview, we we want to continue to feature uh, the content creators around the Sun Belt that put out great content each and every week that give us more insight and and a different perspective than what we're all seeing in our own fan landscapes. Um, tell us a little bit about what you all do um, behind your program and, and how can people uh, follow your content and get engaged uh, with your work each and every week? Yeah. So Twitter handles right there, just like everybody else. Um, that's where I'm most active um, as the wall. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, we're a blog. We're an independent uh, alum lovingly uh, curated blog um, started with, uh, myself and, um, Scott Watkins, who is now, uh, covering Southern Miss, uh, for a newspaper in Gulfport. Um, and Ben Whitehead, who is my still, still with me on the, on the, um, on the blog. Uh, we came together about a year after I graduated 26, 27 or 16, 17 rather. Um, and we just loved, uh, we love college football. We love sports. We love, uh, stats. We love history. And we've seen blogs for um, other teams in the state and other college football teams. And we were like, clearly, Troy having so much history with, like I said, DeMarcus Ware, OCU Menorah, Lawrence Tynes, Leotis McKelvin, all these big NFL names. And then uh, the 258-141 DeVry State game. It's a big deal in Troy, too. Um, there's so much history there that nobody knows about because it's a smaller school. So as as alums and as as loving our content that's what we decided to just go after is to put together stuff that we knew was out there and we could find and tell those stories um that we knew nobody else knew about um but we're at the trojanwall.com like i said twitter but link it, twitter header excuse me twitter is right there underneath my name um that's where you can find me i'm most active there awesome well uh 
We appreciate it. And seriously, we're, we've been talking about but kind of behind the scenes for how we want to continue to bring more of these fan blogs. So we're, we've already talked about maybe towards the end of the year, bringing as many uh, of these types of accounts on one episode together and just have a, a free for all and all things Sunbelt. So oh, yeah, that, that'll be great. Just yeah. don't sit me next to the South guys. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. We'll rearrange the screen. But seriously, um, Thomas, good luck this week. And we hope you have uh, a good game experience and, and definitely look forward um, to your content afterwards. And, and we'll definitely have more conversations in the future. But um, with that, wanted to bring uh, kind of a roundup to this episode. A lot discussed today. What's been a, you know, not only an enjoyable weekend, but just an exhausting weekend on some levels. As, as as Steve mentioned, a lot of us were up till very late last night or early this morning, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, re-watching the game. Um, just go around the horn, start with Taylor. Uh, maybe just your final thoughts. I got three quick final thoughts. One, uh, go back and re-watch the game, the game-winning touchdown play. I remember watching it live, and I believe it was Phoenix Sproles. He, he gets up to the line and he just kind of starts bouncing. Like he has this little bouncing step, like he's almost giddy. And I'm, I, I, I look at my dad who's next to me. I said, we're going to score on this play. Like it was almost like he already knew it was over. And so I, I go back and look at that play. I thought it was neat. The other play you need to go back and look at, uh, I'm not going to get into how egregious that fumble call was. We all know it. The announcers know it. Everyone knows that it was terrible. But what I want everyone to do, go back to the game at that moment. And when they start showing the play on the Jumbotron, remember we're at UVA, listen to how loud the crowd starts cheering, which is the JMU crowd cheering because they're seeing on the Jumbotron, this ball is out. And then as immediately after that, you'll start to hear as loud as you can hear it, JMU, JMU. This is in Charlottesville. It sounds like a home game. So go back, watch those two points. And uh, last thing I'm gonna wrap up because I am the homer of this bunch. I'm unapologetically a homer. And I'm just going to point out a stat that I learned just recently, right before we got on the broadcast here. JMU has won its last 18 straight games against teams from Virginia. So when I sat here earlier in the beginning of this broadcast, I said that we're the flagship. I said that we're the number one team in the state. It, it, it's, you can look at many objective standards to which that claim can be made. Uh, we are the only team currently getting votes in any poll, let alone both polls. CBS Sports put us as the number one team in Virginia at the beginning of the year. The ESPN Power Rankings, if you list them top to bottom, we're at the top of that. So I would challenge anybody. Um, I will say I'm sure there is someone from Liberty out there who I forget sometimes that they are another FBS school in this uh, state. And um, I'm sure someone's going to bring up the 2014 game. We did beat you the last time I played you. That is true. That is true. I'm going to remind those Liberty fans of just one more thing. And that is that Liberty has lost to JMU more than any other opponent in their program history. So that's my shot at Liberty. And then with that, I'll toss it to Michael. Love that Taylor. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm hyped up. I don't know about you. Um, Couple of thoughts. I do have three as well. Number one, I'll be selfish. This was personal. Growing up in Charlottesville, surrounded by Orange, going to the games, growing up, like uh, seeing JMU finally take the W meant a lot to me, my family, etc. Um, I brought friends to the game that grew up as UVA fans that wore orange, and you know they tailgated with us, but you know, we had some good banter back and forth. Um, I think it that was just it was amazing to see and. Going back to the days where I go back to Charlottesville and it was just like, oh, well, Jamie doesn't play anybody and there's no way you guys just play William and Mary Richmond. You can't say that anymore. It's over. 36-35. Um, number two, hot topic, culture at JMU. Seeing the students that came from JMU 
over on the hill on that left side or right side, wherever you were in the stadium was amazing. Like you could hear them from all the way on the other side of the stadium. Um, I kept looking over and I was joking around bantering with some UVA fans. I was like, that's a dangerous place to be right now. And you could see all the cops, all like four or five of them were all huddled around the JMU students. It was great, but they made a huge difference, like culturally on the field, the sound, et cetera. Um, I can't wait until family weekend against South Alabama to see them come back and staying around and making another difference for that game as well. Um, Number three, and this is kind of obvious, but I want to put it together. Like we're seeing this team come together before our eyes and it's not a finished product, but we're seeing flashes of talent, speed, size, different makers. Um, We brought in what three or four transfers at whiteout. They're, They're still trying to gel. And the fact that we can go in to Charlottesville, have a ton of errors and tons of room improvement, guys limit for this team so i'm super excited about it well i've got four things but i'll be quick the win yesterday matters for not just sports but matters for academics part of what this does is this buoys and springboards kids that are looking at the three schools so when you're a high school senior and you're looking at virginia tech you're looking at south carolina you're looking at uva Um, if you're going to get in our honors college we now have the bragging right to tell you we compete and beat the other teams you're looking at. South Carolina, we don't play, so I can't do that. But if you want to go to Tech, we're better than their honors college. Um, UVA is number one academically. Uh, we're not going to beat UVA in academics. Um, and at the end of the day, I know we can't, but we can be two. My goal always is to be two um, to them in terms of the academics, and I think we're close. Um, I think Tech is Tech is there. Women marries their own special deal, so I don't even count them. Um, but at the end of the day, academics and sports matter in the win yesterday. That's a huge win on so many different levels. Um, it is personal for me. Um, I grew up in Fishersville, right across the mountain. I followed UVA sports as a kid, um, still do when they're not playing JMU. Um, and I will never let these people forget it just like I don't let the tech people forget it. It's 21-16 when I see somebody with Virginia Tech crap on. Anytime. That's what I say. That's the first thing out of my mouth. And the first thing out of my mouth with the UVA people is 36. You couldn't get to 36? 36. 36-35. MRDs. We need, and I was saying this to Duke Club guys on the field in the second quarter, um, I'm interested in pushing this. I don't know how far it will get, but we need to raise money for the MRDs to be at away games. Um, It is important to have our band there. We outplayed their stupid jumbotron. If you've got billions of dollars in your endowment, buy speakers, UVA. You couldn't outlast our MRDs. We blasted you out of your own stadium with our band up in the 500 level, and we'll do it again. And we only brought half. Next time, we bring all 500. And I think we, and so I want to bring them on the road. Um, students, unbelievable. That was unbelievable. We had some students behind us. They came down after the um, storm and were hanging out behind us. Unbelievably loud. Um, So I was extremely proud of them. The one thing I'll leave you with is enjoy this, people. Enjoy it. This is what this is all about. The tailgating yesterday was a blast. These are all friends of ours. When we go to Troy, I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to have a blast when we go anywhere we go. Um, Coastal, not so much. Um, I'm not so sure how great that's going to be. I'm going to go down there and play some golf, but um, I don't like those people. Um, and so that's a whole different story. Um, but I, I'll probably enjoy those people. I'm sure they're fine. But at the end of the day, JMU Nation, you are in a great spot. Enjoy it. Come to the games. Go to the away games and stay when you're at Bridgeforth. Stay the whole time. 
Uh, we're going to rock when we come back there um, undefeated and in the top 25 at the end of September. So when South Alabama rolls in, um, you're going to have your number 23 JMU Dukes playing their first home game as a ranked team. So get ready. You don't have to like it, people. Learn to love it. Wow. Steve, again, takes everything I was going to say and said it better than I was going to. But I was I was going to also shout out to the band and then shout out to the students. If you could stay through a thunderstorm in an hour and a half rain delay and make that big of an impact uh, on a game at an out-of-conference stadium in, in uh, Charlottesville, what can you do at home when it's our environment and you have everything on the line to make an impact for these Dukes and some of these big conference games coming up? So um, my last comment, just to, to once again on the enjoyment side, what was great about yesterday is is – you know, in the hours afterwards, once you get home, seeing the Instagram stories and the Facebook stories and the updates from so many people, uh, one comment in particular is, is obviously many of us have all been diehards for many years following us in FCS. But I saw a couple of comments uh, from some people online saying, how great is it to have a college football team we can all support um, weekly? And I think what this message is to me is that there is a whole new group of JMU fans awakening to the potential of this program. Um, they're waking up to how fun it is to be engaged on a, a daily basis. I know I'm going to walk my kids to school tomorrow, uh, and there's some JMU uh, grads that are on my street who have been very transparent about being disconnected a little bit from the program for a number of years. It's wins like this that bring those people back into supporting the program, and it's wins like this that give people the opportunity to then buy season tickets, and that's the type of stuff that will fuel the growth we all want to uh, see, that will fuel We've talked about the need to bring new donors into the program. I would love to have a discussion down the road about what does a win against UVA do for fundraising? What does it do for the development staff at the Duke Club and the Montpelier Collective who are going to be trying to raise funds? I think it makes a big deal. Um, it's not just the win. It's the content that goes out. You know, we the video team, Matt Cosner's um, cinematic recap that came out this afternoon. It's the um, the social posts that JMU gets to put out. You know, the big ones last year, those App State um, videos and the, and the memes and the graphics that came out that makes a big difference we're going to be selling um, shirts uh, commemorating this moment that people are going to wear to the gym and the grocery store and it's going to keep bringing up this conversation that's going to fuel the energy that we need for this program to continue to grow last moment uh just a shout out to kirk signetti you could see at the end of the game when he raised his arms um this was personal to him too um, and a lot of times we, we talk about what this means for fans. You could really see yesterday uh, that this meant a lot to the coaching staff. It meant a lot to the players. I thought one of the great moments uh, in the postgame coverage was seeing uh, Kalon Block, Black and, and Tyshawn Lawton in, in the locker room supporting each other. Um, the, the students singing the fight song after the game, as they always do, celebrating. Um, so as, as Steve and, and Michael and Taylor all said, enjoy this moment. Um, because uh, we still got a few more days until Troy, so there's nothing wrong with letting this uh, hangover go into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, and then maybe turn your attention to to next week, because uh, you only get so many of these opportunities, and I'm just grateful to have been able to enjoy it with all of you yesterday, and um, one last shout-out. Thanks to the guys who came up to us after the game and, and said they were fans of the show. We were able to feature them on uh, our social channels yesterday. It's It's been great to hear the feedback, um, as always, from JMU fans who are um, new to our content here at SoundOff, um, who have maybe been following us from the beginning. Um, just know it's never uh, lost on us uh, that we don't do this each and every week without your listenership and, and your support throughout the week um, as you engage with our content. As always, JMUSoundOff.com, our new website. Um, if you're looking for any of the recaps of content that we have from the beginning, it's all there. 
as well as great information about our sponsors at the Montpelier Collective, our sponsors at Skyline Financial, uh, as well as uh, information about how you can engage with the collective as well as the Duke Club. So with that, guys, we'll wrap for this week, and we'll be back next Sunday night uh, as we recap the game against Troy, and then we'll look forward um, to future contests here on SoundOff. And again, as always, go Dukes, enjoy this win, and we'll talk to you next week, Sunday at 8 o'clock, as we bring you SoundOff here from JMU. Good night.